Forgetting someone's name, misplacing your keys, or completely blanking on the time of the meeting you were supposed to be in. These are all pretty familiar things for me, and I imagine they are for you too. But how do we know if our memory's working properly, or if there's something to be concerned about? And maybe if we're noticing this in family members too, when do we know that this has become a problem? Dr. Anne Unkenstein is a clinical neuropsychologist who has worked with people who experience changes in their memory for over 25 years. And today we're going to dig deep into how our memory works, how we can keep it working the way it should be, and signs that it's time to get some help, whether that's for us or the people close to us. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this because I think this is something that's quite, it's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, as I say, whether it's for them or people close to them. Tell me your um, specialty. How does, so people I imagine will have come across a psychologist, but what's the difference between a psychologist and a neuropsychologist? Yes. So a neuropsychologist is someone who's been trained to understand a little bit more about the brain and specifically measuring different functions of the brain memory and thinking processes. So we tend to focus a lot on things like memory. So let's start at the beginning. How Mm. does our memory actually work? Yes, I think that's a very good place to start. (laughs) (laughs) There are lots of different stages of memory and there are lots of ways that our memory can let us down. And there are lots of key culprits when it comes to everyday memory lapses. So I think if we have a little think about different processes first, then that'll set the stage for what we're going to talk about later. But I think the best way to talk about it is just in terms of information flow. So information into memory and hopefully information out of memory when we want it to come out. So if you're going to learn something new, for example, so you meet someone, You meet me, for example, and I say, hi, my name's Anne Unkenstein. The very first thing that you have to do to get my name into your memory is something that we actually don't think about very often. It's we need to sense the information with our senses. And this can often be a culprit with memory in that we don't hear or we don't see what's coming in. And that's something particularly as we get older. Um, particularly with hearing, that we can often miss information, particularly when we're at a party or something like that and there's noise in the background. That can be a change that happens with hearing as we get older. So we need to be mindful of that from the start. Um, Once we've actually, our body has sensed that incoming information, the next thing we need to do, which is critical for memory, and we'll be talking about this a lot, I'm sure, is focus on the information. We need to pay attention to it. And again, this is often a culprit when it comes to memory. We, we are distracted by something else internally or we see something externally and the information doesn't get in because we haven't focused. So once we've sensed the name and we've focused on it, then we start doing, our brain starts doing more active processing of the information and we sort of start carving a, a pathway through the brain, through the brain circuitry to lay down that memory. And it goes into a fairly recent memory storage, just just briefly. And then if you met me 
every day for the next year, you'd be retrieving that name and it would become part of your longer term memory store, which I sometimes like to call lifetime memories. And these lifetime memories are made up of things that we've learned all through our lives, things that we're interested in through our hobbies and our work and our family, things that we've done all through our lives, and also procedures, knowing how to do things. Um, for example, driving a car. So when you first learn how to drive a car, you are very much using your attention and you're laying down new memories. You know, where do I put my foot? Where do I put my hands? What do I do next? And then you've driven every day of your life and you don't even think about it and it becomes just one of these stored memories in your lifetime memory. So often when we talk about memory, the types of lapses that we're talking about are not so much digging things out of our old lifetime memories, because we're usually pretty good at that, but it's more digging things out of the more recent memory store, which is, is not, so, not so durable. And I've heard you referred to our memories as, as working kind of like a filing cabinet. Is that right? Yeah. It, it, the analogy works in some ways because it gives you that idea of the different stores. So there's different parts of your memory that you put the memories into. In reality, at a neurophysiological and chemical level, it doesn't work like a filing cabinet because the memory is very dynamic. And every time we go back to dig out a memory that, that we've just made, our brain circuitry has to fire up and follow that same pathway that we made when we laid down the memory. But the filing cabinet analogy is very useful for talking about the amount of information you can get in there. So you can sometimes think about, you know, it's almost archaic to think of a filing cabinet these days. Yeah. <laughs> but you can think about like you might have like this tray on top of your filing cabinet where information goes in before it gets filed away. Mm -hmm. And that part of your memory is what we all often call the attentional phase or the working memory phase. And working memory is just a transient parking bay for little bits of information and it's it's got a finite amount of information that you can put into it and it's about sort of five to eight chunks of information and once you've filled up your in-tray with those five or eight chunks of information the next time you want to put more information into it it gets wiped out of it and this part of your memory is is very sensitive to lots of things that go on in our life uh, and it it's often why the information doesn't even get into the filing cabinet in the first place because it hasn't got past that stage because that stage is really, um, it's really sensitive and it can be easily disrupted by other things in, in our heads internally, mentally, and also things that are going on around us as well. That's really interesting. So that's why when you first meet people, you know, if you, I'm terrible with names and when you're yeah. trying to remember people's names, if you can kind of assign their name to something you already know or Absolutely. something funny, it works because yeah. it kind of so downloads that, yeah. it. So that's using a, a, a memory strategy, which we, some, we can sometimes talk about memory strategies by dividing them into ones you do inside your head, yeah. so internal strategies and ones that we do external, so using diaries and notebooks and that sort of thing. 
And when we're meeting someone for the first time, unless they've got a name tag on, or <laughs> I always joke that it would be so cool if we had them tattooed to our forehead. It would be good for me in particular. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but usually we don't. So we have to resort to the internal strategies when yeah. we're meeting someone. And using association is a really good one. And those strategies are sometimes called mnemonic strategies. Yes. And they're the ones that if you went and competed in the world memory championships or something like that you'd be using those but in everyday life we we take the basics of mnemonic strategies and use them and the idea is that they make us pay more attention to the information by adding meaning to it so what you were saying then you know associating someone's name with something that you're already thinking about another name potentially or something like that or the sound of the name yeah that's cool I think that's really useful Mm. in how in learning how memory works with our memories how personal are they to us you know are there some people who are like brilliant at remembering people's names oh yeah you know is is it a very personal thing often when I work with people they tell me that their partner's really handy to them because they're good at faces (laughs) but not good at names and the person themselves is good at names but not faces so it's good to choose wisely (laughs) when you're with friends or partners with names but look we're all so different from the start in the Mm. way our brain is wired not just with memory but with other cognitive and and thinking processes. So some people are really good visually, some people really good verbally. We're we're just wired differently from the start. And I do hear it time and time again that, you know, I'm really good at names. I've never been good at names. Mm. And, And some of that is about natural ability, but some of it also is about learned techniques. And I think people who names are important in their lives, potentially for work, will have developed techniques for names. And I love hearing about the strategies that people use for names. So it might be, uh, you know, you meet someone and you ask them how to spell their name or you say, oh, hi, Ed, nice to meet you. And then later on you say, oh, that was a really interesting point, Ed. And then as you're leaving, you say, good, great to see you. Bye, Ed. So you're actually retrieving the name several times while you're talking. And I'm sure lots of you have thought of different strategies and developed different strategies for names. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool because mm. in everyday life, I'm absolutely bloody useless. You know, if um, mm. I meet someone at a party or something, there's no way I'm going to remember your name. Yeah. Um, and I think that's to do with what you have just said in terms of actually bloody paying attention you well know, cause yeah because so you're things. saying you're sort of looking at what they're wearing or yeah. you're half trying to listen into another conversation <laughs> behind their shoulder and yeah so really it is really useful to actually say it out loud that can be a handy one at parties that's yeah. great but then like mm. if I've had a guest on I can always remember their name forever yeah um, and you've potentially already emailed them texted them seen their name visually so the more more different modes of processing. There's this whole psychological theory called depth of processing, which Mm. is pretty self-evident. But the more deeply you process information using different modes, uh, the more likely you are to be able to dig it out later as well. That's really fascinating because you're making me feel bad because I thought it was just being rude and like having a... No, no. And it's all about motivation. Memory is so much motivation. So when a name is important for your work, then you put more effort in. Whereas at a party... You know, you might not be so focused on the name. It's not so important. You don't think you're going to see that person again. Um, And you're more interested in what they've got to say rather than what their name is. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's Mm. often a focus of mine. Mm. Oh, you've made me feel better about that now. (laughs) But names are the classic when you talk to groups of older people, which I do often. Yeah. 
if you ask them to put their hands up to common memory problems, the one that's always at the top of the list is names. Um, because as we get older, our brain is not so good at getting random information into memory. We need to do a little bit more work on it. We can still do it um, as we get older for sure, but it just takes a little bit more effort, a bit more repetition and, and maybe a bit more of that kind of association and internal strategies to do it. Um, so when when older people say to me they're really concerned about their memory because they can't remember their, remember names, it's not particularly concerning because it's just an often a really common normal ageing phenomenon. Ooh, that's yeah. reassuring. And so mm. on that then, yeah. how else does our memory change as we go through life? Yeah. Well, let's start with the positives mm. because it actually gets better in many ways. So if you think about yourself and if your listeners think about themselves and all the knowledge that they've accumulated over their lifetime in that lifetime memory store, that stays really stable and it just gets stronger and we put more and more into it. And the more that we develop little frameworks in our minds about our areas of interest and expertise, the easier it is to put new stuff in. Mm. So, for example, if you're into gardening and you, you know some names of plants, then when you go and buy a new one, you know that it's linked to an old one because you've got that framework in your head of, of how plants are classified, for example. Um, so that type of memory just keeps getting stronger. And that's why when you talk to older people, they'll often say, oh, I can remember what I did in primary school, but I can't remember what I did on the weekend. Um, and that's also in a sense why we can celebrate ageing as well, because as we get older, we have just that built up knowledge and built up experience and intuition, which often makes us really good decision makers and leaders mm. um, and what sometimes people refer to as lived wisdom. Yeah. So let's, that's positive. Unfortunately, there are some negatives. Go on, but lay not, it on us, They're not things <laughs> that get in the way of life terribly much and they are things that we can do things about to get around them. Oh, great. This is good okay. news. So one of the things that's very well established from sort of our 30s onwards is that unfortunately our cognitive processing slows down. So just gradually, gradually over our life, we and we're talking about averages here, you know, some individuals don't notice this at, at all. And, and we need to make the point that ageing is something that has a lot of individual variability. But if we look at studies where they look at average performance of younger people compared to older people, whenever we time people, we know that older people will generally take a bit longer. So with memory and getting new information into memory, like say you wanted to learn the words for a song, younger people can pick that up really quickly, whereas older people might just need more repetitions and make it more meaningful, um, practice it a little bit more, but they can still do it. It just takes longer. So it's that sort of getting stuff into your short-term memory. That's the harder bit as you get older. Um, one of the other things that is really annoying as you get older is finding words. Mm. And you'll hear this when you talk to older people that they'll say, you know, the watch me call it, or you know, the name of that actor, the one with the black hair and the big blue eyes, that sort of thing. So there's so much information in there. And sometimes it's hard when you're on the spot and you're wanting to get that name or that particular word that describes that thing the best way, when you want that piece of vocab, it might not come. Interesting. Yeah. 
And that's, again, something that, of course, we can work around. And it's nice sometimes to make a bit of a group effort with that when you're out with, you know, an older person's out with a group of friends, they can have a bit of a team think on what the name is. Or you can word your partner up to be able to sort of help out when the word doesn't come as well. One of the classics I had um, over the last few years was I kept having difficulty with a particular dog breed, the Rottweiler. <laughs> so I'd see the dog and I think, what is that breed? And sometimes you can just keep getting the same glitch for the same word. Yeah, I And then know you can that. really lose confidence. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm a memory specialist. I'm going to use my techniques. And I used the mnemonic strategies of visualization. And I imagined this big black dog. And instead of legs, it had wheels and they were made of wood and they were a bit rotten. <laughs> and I think just because I spent the time thinking about this crazy visual image, I have never forgotten the word Rottweiler again. Um, so that's where that. mnemonics can be really good. They can be really good if you just want to take some time learning something. And I often encourage older adults to use these techniques and to be really creative with them. Sometimes they'll feel that it's just too much work for just one piece of information. But if they're really invested, if a person's really invested in, in getting this name or this word accessible, so, you know, you might have joined a new book club and there's someone at the book club and you, you just, for some reason, you just keep glitching on their name and it won't work for you, then it's important to you. You want to be able to call them by name. So you can go home and do a little bit of homework on the name and, and think of how you can make it more meaningful. And then you can do this thing which us psychologists call spaced retrieval, Ooh. which is basically where you keep retrieve you make yourself retrieve the information straight away and then you check that you've got it right. Then you wait for a little bit longer and you make yourself say the name again, check you've got it right, and then just stretch out the intervals that you retrieve the information and you're basically kind of carving that retrieval pathway into your mind for that name. Oh, that's clever. Uh, so that it's much more likely to come and you can impress yourself uh, when you go to book club and, and impress your friends but mostly feel more confident. And confidence is a really important thing when it comes to memory. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not second guessing yourself. And so yeah. um, obviously with aging, um, a natural part of aging is having some changes to our memory. But yeah. what about um, temporary fluctuations in our memory? You know, if we're thinking yeah. at any age. Yeah, if we're yeah. thinking, geez, I'm not getting older, but really, I have yeah. noticed my memory struggling. Yeah. What are some of those things that can cause temporary oh, there's fluctuations. so many things that can cause and I'm so glad you've brought this up because it happens to all of us yeah you know? and it can be really it, it can really knock your confidence and make you oh, think oh yeah. god I mean if you think wrong? back to the beginning of COVID times when really most of us were grappling with everything being so yep. new and unfamiliar so any situation where all the rules changed like they did in COVID um Every day we got new rules that we had to learn. So anything that puts more stress on your memory is going to make it have more problems. Mm -hmm. So think about when you start a new job, you have to work out how to get there, um, what public transport do you use, where do you park your car, who are the names of all the new people, where's your office, where's the thing in your office, or when you move home. That's a huge one mm. that can cause overwhelm and stress. So it makes sense that it, at times like that, that it's really obvious that there's more load on your memory. 
that you're going to get more inefficiency coming through. But you can also get more inefficiency coming through because of other things that are going on in your life. You know, if you think of your health, for example, for all of us, Mm -hmm. there'll be times when we're all okay, but there'll be other times where we might have physical health issues or um, really importantly, mental health issues can affect memory. If we talk about physical health issues, even just having pain can distract you. So back pain might be a culprit, headaches, migraine, Mm -hmm. anything that affects your ability to focus and pay attention can definitely cause inefficiency with memory. And then sleep is a big one. And we're finding out more and more about sleep and how important it is in so many aspects of our lives. But when you think about your brain and and how that's going to function with memory, there are two really important things that sleep gives us. It, while we're asleep, our brain stays really active. It, it doesn't go to sleep. <laughs> mm. And what it does is it, it keeps consolidating the memories from the day before. So as we're sleeping, the memories are being transferred from our short term into our long term memory um, through the memory centers of the brain. So we need a deep restorative sleep for that to happen. And the other thing is that our sleep primes our brain and our memory to receive new memories the next day. It's like it has this waste cleanage process. It's called the glymphatic system. And that, again, only works when we get deep and refreshing sleep. So, yeah, sleep's really important. So that might be the culprit. If you're having some lapses, it might be that your sleep hasn't been good enough. And I um, and, and so there are... Um, you know, other points in life, particularly for women, potentially, you know, when if you have a newborn, uh, you oh, know, we hear about sleep. this. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We hear about this thing like baby brain and all that stuff, but potentially yeah. maybe that could be to do with a lack of sleep, right? Oh, yeah. And also overload. Yeah. New baby, new thing. First baby, especially. What am yeah. I doing? How do I do this? Stress. That's when the brain of an older person, often your parent, that's where all that lifetime memory and stored wisdom comes through because you get the advice from older people around you Um, but yeah when things are new like that and um, particularly sometimes through pregnancy when the hormones are everywhere it doesn't happen for every woman but sometimes that can happen and it's often a mixture of hormones and lifestyle because it's sleep as well but it can you know having a new baby can bring anxiety it can for some women bring quite significant depression so there are lots of reasons why memory might not be as solid as it usually is at that time of your life yeah interesting and what about menopause how does our Mm. memory change during menopause yeah well more and more we're hearing about this term that has actually been used in COVID times too but um, for long COVID the term brain fog Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of women will talk about just not feeling quite as clear with their memory and their thinking processes through menopause. And I did a study on this at the Royal Women's Hospital where I I worked with women who were before menopause or premenopausal and then going through the transition or perimenopausal when, when your periods start getting irregular and then after the transition, so postmenopause, once their periods had stopped and tested their memory but also did questionnaires tapping into how they felt about their memory. And 
when women were going through the actual transition, they were significantly more underconfident around their memory than before and after. So there's something about the transition that affects our memory confidence and our feeling of control over memory. And the more recent studies that have been coming through are looking at whether there's a direct hormonal impact. In my study, I didn't see significant memory change on the objective tests, but some studies are starting to show very slight changes can happen to some women. But it's really hard to weed out the other influences on memory at that time because menopause and the hormonal peaks and troughs brings with it often sleep disturbance and hot flushes and sometimes muscular aches and pains and then often a sense of anxiety and sometimes depression as well. So it's a very complex time in a woman's life, but I think it's a time that we need to be very kind to ourselves and not be too harsh on ourselves when we do have memory lapses and and bring in all the best strategies that we can to to get through and to support ourselves so that we can still do the things that we normally do, but just using a a bit more of a crutch for our memory at those times. Absolutely. I love that. And so what, you know, our memories changing in all these different ways throughout our lives, you know, and not just when we get older, you know, through periods of stress, like we touched on there, Mm. what can we do to ensure that our memory stays working in the best way that it possibly can for us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need to think at the brain level about how we can keep our brain as healthy as possible. Mm. And then we can also think at the everyday level of what we can do in a practical way. So if we just touch on keeping our brain as healthy as possible, there's lots of different things we can do. Um, So our brain is, is nourished by our circulation, which is the master master power of the circulation is the heart. So often people will use the term, you know, good brain health relies on good heart health. So keeping physically as healthy as possible, having regular checkups with your GP and making sure that your cholesterol is good and your blood pressure is good and and you keep your your cardiovascular system in as good a shape as possible is, is one way to nourish the brain. And then there's other things like sleep, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. and diet, so keeping the brain cells as healthy as possible. And you've probably all heard of things like the Mediterranean diet, which is the diet that's had the most research done on it in terms of, of brain health. And then it's not surprising, but we've spent millions of dollars in in research on doing longitudinal studies of people as they get older. And there are many things that help to keep the brain healthy. And they're they're sort of usually divided into three areas. So I like to call it a triple treat for your brain. I love it. (laughs) So if we can um, make sure that we're exercising every day, that's important for so many things, but particularly for brain function. Mm. And then also, as one 90-year-old lady said to me in in a talk that I gave once, we need to stay curious. So we need to learn new things and discover new things about ourselves and others and the world. And that stimulates the brain to keep making new connections and new brain cells. So some mental stimulation is really important. And it doesn't have to be crosswords and sudokos. Um, It needs to be things you enjoy doing that give you a bit of a nudge. 
And then being connected socially is really important. Um, And a lot of that is because it's important for our psyche and making us feel good about ourselves. If you can do something that ticks all three of those at once, then that's a master stroke. So uh, talking about strokes, it might be that you're doing a golf stroke. So you're playing golf. Older people often will play golf with their friends and do all the scoring, which Ah. takes a lot of um, mental energy and memory. Um, Or it might be that we're going to an exercise group with our friends and we're exercising, we're socialising, and we're trying to remember that list of exercises that we're meant to be doing. I love it. There's they're some brilliant ones. I um, I like the golf. Everybody knows who listens to this podcast that I recently started surfing. That's a good one oh, too. Because cool. it's social, yeah. active, mm. learning a new thing. Mm. It's really bloody hard. Oh, Pushes you be. out of your comfort zone. I like yeah. that. That's a good one. But I'm, also so fulfilling when you actually... So I get love somewhere it. with it. Yeah, yeah right. That's brilliant. That sense of mastery. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm and a so lot of exercise. That. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jeez, it is a lot of exercise. But yeah, I like that. That definitely mine qualifies as a triple treat. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Right. <laughs> is there anything else that's really important to remember, or you find that people find real useful when you're um, helping them with memory or teaching them about memory? Yeah. Well, I think. It's really important to think about your reactions to your memory lapses mm. because we can go through times when we have some lapses and we get really down on ourselves yeah. and lose confidence. And the same can happen with your reactions to other people around you. Mm. So just to, in general, think to yourself, look, that happened, but there's probably a reason why that happened. And once you understand why something's happening, you can handle it much better. Um, and the same for, you know, your parents maybe or older people in, in your life. If they've forgotten something, be patient with them and, and be kind because there will be a reason why that information didn't get in. And it might just be that it wasn't as interesting to them as it is to you. It might just be that simple motivation fact. But I think in general, if we can keep being good to ourselves and good to our others around us, around our memory, then that helps us with our confidence and our sense of control over memory. And that in itself will make our memory work better. Oh, thank you so much for chatting to me, Anne. I really appreciate it. Incredibly useful. And you are clearly a very lovely, patient person yourself. So thank you. You're doing incredible work. Yeah. And just keep keep talking about memory with your friends and your family, because the more we talk about it, the more we can share the strategies that we're finding useful then that will help all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And to understand this is just a normal process that we're all going through. There's no shame in it. If you're struggling with your memory, there's lots of things that can be done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much, Anne. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Dr. Anne Unkenstein is a clinical psychologist who's worked with people who experience changes in their memory for over 25 years. And she's also the author of Memory Wise, How Memory Works and What to Do When It Doesn't. If you found this chat useful, you're definitely going to want to check that book out. So I'll put the link uh, to Anne's book and where you can find it in the show notes and also where you can find her and get more information about the work that she does. I'm Ed Stott and 
as always, I would be super grateful if you could leave me a review if you're enjoying the podcast so far. Really appreciate it. And remember, if there's an episode you want to hear, if there's something you're struggling with, you need a little help with, or you'd like to know more about, send me an email, ed at edwinastop.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me. I sincerely hope that's helpful.